I was like, man, kids, <laughs> heart of sin, they're the worst. Uh, I can't believe it. People, I just start so young. How does this even happen? Fast forward to Wednesday of this week, and I'm driving somewhere. I'm thinking about this story, and it's going to be like perfect analogy or whatever. And I go to this event with a bunch of people. And about halfway through the event, I started getting kind of frustrated with some people. And in my head, I start to think, what, I- what idiots? They're not even that great. My beard is better. I'm taller. <laughs> I'm skinnier. My hair is thicker. They got thinning hair. They're idiots. And I get home, and I tell Sadie this, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm a seven-year-old <laughs> who has, like, insecurities like nobody's business. Um, and isn't that kind of what happens, though? We see something in our own heart, and we're like, where did this come from? Like, clearly, it doesn't matter. Uh, clearly, these are just, like, surface-level sort of pot shots at people. But this comes up all the time. Things that we don't really realize are in our heart come out in the strangest ways, even um, for a seven-year-old, but also for adults who have it together. And these things, like, boil up within us. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking today about one of these things that I see boil up in my life quite often, and that is compare and despair. And I see this all the time. I'm looking through Facebook flipping through people's timelines or whatever, and for some reason, I'm, like, getting frustrated or um, I, I just, something inside of me, and I'll flip through, flip through, and even a couple weeks ago, I was doing that, and I was like, ugh, Facebook, turn it off. Sadie's like, and how did that make you feel? A little better about yourself or a little more depressed? And the answer is, like, often we, we leave looking at other people's lives a little more depressed about our own. We compare ourselves to them, which leads to the despair. And if you're like me, there's a lot of things that we can do this with. If you're not like me, thankfully, I've made a little list of things that I think we can do. Um, We can compare ourselves to other people's careers, things like promotions they've received in their job, travel that they get to do with their job, the possible income that they make in their job, Meetings. Why did this person get invited to that meeting? Why are they consulted about this problem? Um, <laughs> I have a lot of examples, so be ready. Uh, a few weeks ago, the person who works next to me, she got an upgraded iMac and a new MacBook Air. And I was like, why does she get two new things? I should get a new thing. Uh, has nothing to do with me. Her computers are really old. She needed them. Um, in our careers, we can also compare ourselves to other people's accomplishments. Maybe they've gotten to move up the chain a little faster. We can, I can even compare myself to somebody whose job affords them the opportunity to learn new things, and I feel like I'm falling behind in my career. Or even the workspace. Like, I feel like we've got a great place to work um, at IU, or that I have a great place to work. But then you look on, like, in the web sphere, you go look on Google or Twitter or Facebook of these different companies and, like, the amazing things that they have, and you think, I'm missing out somehow. Other things that we compare ourselves to are people's things. So it could be, like, people's houses, their cars, their clothing, their style. Um, I have it all written down. Shoes, shirts, sunglasses, their hair. Their hair is thicker. Their hair is straighter. Their hair is more curly. Their hair is less gray. Um, People's yard. We just bought a house a year ago, and now I'm looking at everybody's yard. Their yard is greener. Their yard is thicker. They have less clover in their yard. They have less poison ivy in their bushes. Um, Or people's technology, their their things. They got a new iPhone. They got a new MacBook Pro. They got a new Apple Watch. Or maybe we even compare ourselves to people's adventure, and this is, Facebook is perfect for this. We see people's pictures of their vacation that they took with friends or some new place they discovered in downtown Chicago or um, maybe... For me, I'm even, I even feel like I'm not a planner, and so I compare myself to other people's ability to, like, find the new cool thing. And I feel like I'm missing out because I can't discover. Um, so those can be surfacey, but I, then I think if we start to think a little bit more, we can p- compare to, like, more heart-level things, so, like, other people's relationships. Maybe we see people that have a ton of friends or appear that ha- they have a ton of friends. We feel like we're missing out on relationships. 
or maybe they're their friends or they're tweeting about some selfie with some famous person or maybe they have friendships with people that you think from the outside are like the really cool people and you're not like in the crowd somehow you're missing out or maybe it's even other people's families the relationships that people have with their parents or with their siblings um, the fun holidays that they do together like we're all in Aspen skiing together Um, I don't know who does that but or people do that but um, uh, they're fun birthdays like somehow they're like throwing these incredible parties for their kids and you like maybe as a mom thinks like I barely made a cake for my one-year-old and they had like aerial little mermaid themed parties for 30 kids how does that work um, or maybe other kids behavior like for some reason your kid can't stop running around but their kid will sit quietly nicely I don't know um, or maybe a little bit more other people's personalities they're organized they're more spontaneous they're deep feelers or maybe they don't let things get to them um, they don't get anxious or maybe they don't get fearful or they can budget or they're um, they don't this happened to me again last week they don't panic when they're sitting in a restaurant by themselves waiting for their friend to show up or maybe even more we compare ourselves to other people's marriages maybe somebody's looks like they're really connected they spend a ton of time together um, they celebrate in a way that you don't feel like you've celebrated um, or maybe you feel like they have a, a honest relationship where they can compromise and do things together and are kind of on the same page mo- more often than you feel like you are or maybe you feel like um, that there's just a depth of relationship and connection that you don't experience. And then finally, other people's spiritual lives. We can compare ourselves to what we perceive as other people's connections with God. Uh, Maybe um, when we talk about doing abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous followers of Jesus, maybe you feel like you're not courageous or you're not loving or joyful. And there's somebody else's relationship with God that just looks so different than yours. Or maybe it seems like they're constantly hearing and responding to God. They hear, they tell a story of, I was in this situation. I thought God out on what to do next, and I feel like this is what he said. And you just don't feel like you hear the voice of God in a way that's tangible for you. Or maybe even it's just that you don't really desire God all that much. And you see other people who are excited about the way God is working in the world and through them and through other people, but you're just struggling to want to even pursue God in any way. And we can respond in all kinds of ways to these comparisons. There's, that's just a handful. That took me 20 minutes to just think through, and maybe it's just me, maybe I'm the only one who thinks about these things, but we can respond in so many ways that are, um, that can destroy our relationship with God and our relationship with others. So, for example, we can to boost ourselves, we can name drop, like, oh, yeah, 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 I was hanging out with so-and-so, or whenever I met this guy, or this guy mentored me for a while, or da-da-da-da-da. We can respond with job dropping. Yeah, I was working here, but then I got this promotion to here, or I interviewed at this place, um, but I, I turned that job down because it just wasn't a great fit. Uh, we can respond with travel dropping, which is like, oh, yeah, yeah, and I'll, I'll do this sometimes. When we lived in Germany, which 10 years ago, but it's not really relevant to now, but it kind of tries to make me feel like I'm cultured somehow. Um, With kids, I can imagine you could respond with your child's accomplishment dropping, just subtly hinting at how well your child is doing, how well they behave for the babysitter, different things like that. In general, we can just one-up other people. Um, we can just try to take it to the next level in an effort to put push somebody else's accomplishments down to make ourselves feel a little elevated. Have you guys ever seen Brian Regan? He's a comedian. He talks about this guy. I think Brian Regan talks about the guy on the moon. Like, what if you were a guy that went to the moon? Then on any situation, you could be like, yeah, you did that, but I walked on the moon. <laughs> um, or sometimes we can just flat out shift the truth a little bit just enough that we would feel 
more secure in who we are. Um, and I think that when we start to recognize these patterns or these things in our lives, there's these are all surfacey level things. It's really a deep, uh, more deeply rooted issue within our heart. Um, and Andy Stanley has a book called Enemies of the Heart. And in that book, he talks about four enemies of the heart that can really sabotage our relationships with God and our relationships with other people. And the four of them are guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. And compare and despair really fits into this one of jealousy. But he talks about in each of these sins of the heart, enemies of the heart, we're really looking for other people who owe us something. So guilt says that you owe me. Anger says, I owe you. Greed says, I owe myself. And jealousy, kind of maybe the worst of all, says God owes me. Somehow, whatever my current life circumstance is, whatever my job, whatever my relationship, whatever my kids, whatever my family, whatever that looks like, it's not quite good enough. I compare and despair with those around me. And somehow, God has withheld what he really owes me. And so that's where I want to land today. I want to talk a little bit about this enemy of the heart, jealousy, that can really sabotage relationships. Um, Matt, the last couple of weeks, has been talking about uh, hear and respond, and specifically about some of the stories in Acts. When I think of the uh, phrase hear and respond, it makes me think of the Israelites in the Old Testament and I don't know if you're familiar with the story of the Israelites, but they had ended, it had been a family, a small family, 12 people, had ended up in, this, in Egypt. And over the course of a long time, they expanded greatly. They ended up becoming um, slaves in Egypt to the Egyptians. And God, in his promises in Genesis, had said, it, said you will be a great people. I have promised for you a better thing. So he sends a guy named Moses um, to help deliver the Egyptians out of Egypt. That all happens, the ten plagues, Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, all this stuff happens, and now the, Egyptian, or the Israelites are out of Egypt. They've done the thing where they go through the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. They run through. The um, Egyptians run through. The waters crush them. The Israelites are saved. And now they're out in the desert. And this is where hear and respond comes into play. There's this part in Numbers chapter 9 where it talks about how are these people following God. And maybe you've heard this story, maybe not, but they have this thing called the tabernacle, which is where they put the Ten Commandments, this stone that God had given to Moses. The Ten Commandments, the tabernacle, it's kind of a representation of who God is. Actually, I don't know if that was true about this stone, the commandments in the tabernacle. Either way, it's the representation of who God is. And so they have this thing, and during the day, a cloud would be over the tabernacle, and at nighttime, fire would be over the tabernacle. And this is a whole nation of people. In fact, earlier in the book of Numbers, they do a census, and there's 603,000 men, 20 years and older, who are able to go to war, which means they're not over 60. So apart from women, children, and men over 60, 603,000 people, and I read some different things, if you take it at face value, possibly 2 million people. And so what they do is they all come into camp, tabernacles in the middle, 12 tribes that each like, kind of like a tire, spread out from them, cloud over it by day. The cloud moves, gets up, the cloud starts to shift, Everybody packs up, follows wherever the cloud goes, it settles, put the tabernacle there, everybody sets up camp. Fire at night, cloud during the day. In Numbers chapter 9, we read, Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then, according to the command of the Lord, they set out. Sometimes it remained from evening until morning, and when the cloud lifted, they set out. If it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. And so it's this picture of hear and respond that Matt often talks about. 
seeing God's movement and following it to where it is. And so I've been fascinated by this story of the Israelites, how they move, how they follow God, how they hear and respond. It's a little bit easier when you can see like a physical thing move. You can just follow it. But so in the midst of this whole story, we kind of get a glimpse of um, two people who fall into this compare and despair, this trap of jealousy. And those two people are Aaron and Miriam. And this is Moses' brother and sister. And so we come to Numbers chapter 12, and we read 12 verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. And isn't this kind of how jealousy or other enemies of the heart can kind of spring up? This isn't really jealousy. They're just like criticizing their brother. They're kind of like just find something wrong and poke at it. They're getting ready to be jealous, but first they're going to like surface level, just I'm going to be critical. Um, And I see this as very true in my life. It's very easy to be critical. Um, The two things that I see are criticism for me and blame. Two things that are outwardly focused and not inwardly focused. I can be critical because I can put, um, I can pick at the thing that somebody else has or has done and say that that's a reason for X, Y, or Z, but it has nothing to do with me. Or if, it, if I can't find anything wrong with them, I'll find something wrong with somebody around me that has somehow prevented me from experiencing what this other person has experienced. And so, of course, I have a couple great examples from my own life from this week where, I s- uh, where I've seen criticism and blame kind of creep in. First one was the other night, Sadie says, hey, did you see, see that thing about that person in that job? I was like, yeah, I did see that. As we're talking, all of a sudden it's like, well, it's really, and it, it was honestly a super great opportunity for this person. Uh, but as we're talking, suddenly this criticism comes up and it is, well, I don't know. They went to some school, let's say they went to Purdue. They can't even be really qualified for this job. <laughs> I don't even know how that works. And then, well, they've done X, Y, and Z before, but who knows like how like legit those previous experiences were. Like you could just make up stuff like, and say, I've done this and that. Like, how do you even know that's a possibility? And then it was even totally unrelated. Well, I don't know. Maybe they're, maybe his parents have finan- like are financially secure. So somehow, like his parents are to blame because they've like purchased his new job for him. I don't even know how that works, but it's like so easy to like start picking and finding things unrelated to me at all to like put down this guy's uh, success. Like he's uh, got a new opportunity that's amazing for him. Or another one that happens to me every day, and I don't know why, not every day, almost every day. I don't know why I just don't unfollow this guy on Twitter, but a few years ago I participated in this year-long coaching program to launch a new business. There's 12 of us, and one of the other guys that was in the program, in the end, I didn't launch the business that I'd want to, but it was a great experience. I learned a ton, made a lot of great strides, just new way to think about things. But there's another guy who's been relatively successful in the endeavor that he was working on during that year. So some reason, I'm on Twitter, every single time I see him tweet something, I just like jump to criticism because I just don't want him to succeed. And so I have no like interaction with him. But I, the first thing I always think is, oh, he's just, he's like selling so aggressively on Twitter, surely nobody's gonna buy into that. Or I think, he, he's just selling complete snake oil. Like nobody thinks that like his social media strategy is actually effective. Like, whatever. <laughs> uh, and since it's kind of like web-based, which is what I do day in and day out, I'm like, well, he's asked me to help him like code some stuff. He can't even write code. Like, surely he can't be successful at anything in life because he's, like, not a coder. Um, And then with this one, it's probably almost, it's like the worst form of jealousy is that secretly I hope someday he'll tweet, closing up shop, not enough clients, 
got to move on to something else. Like, I'm almost hoping that he'll, like, fail. Nothing to do with me. Somehow, like, I'm so critical of this guy uh, because of his perceived success. And this really is compare, despair, and jealousy. And the third one, and this is the, where I see blame come in my life. So criticism and blame are two, like, symptoms of jealousy. Blame is sort of putting the problem on somebody around you. And so we have some friends uh, that are really great friends, went to their wedding, incredible wedding, uh, of course, better than ours probably. Uh, <laughs> um, and the last month or so, they've done a ton of traveling. And on Facebook, of course, you see their pictures. And it's just like, how does that, what's going on? And so in one of them, they're on like family reunion with some with their family. And so then this is where blame comes in. I say, well, they're with their family. I bet their parents paid for that. My parents don't pay for my vacation. My parents are the worst. And so now somehow my parents are to blame for like my jealousy. Or the, oh yeah, thinking back a couple more years. Again, somehow my parents blame for this. I'm like, well, I bet their parents paid for their college. I had to pay off debt for college for 15 years. That's why I don't have enough money to go on a cool vacation. It's all my parents' fault. They like just stole this from me. Or the final one is, um, and this is like, again, I can't criticize them because I actually really like them. So I just pick people around me to blame for my problems. But it's like, I bet that his wife can budget way better than Sadie. And so if Sadie would just get this budget thing under control, we would go on an awesome vacation. What was that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but it, isn't that just incredible how we can, uh, we can take things and put them on other people to kind of cover up for our own insecurities? So it's my compare and despair and this jealousy that's kind of rooted inside of me, but now it's somehow everybody else's problem and I don't have to own it. Um, and this is what I see like Aaron and Miriam doing here. They're like just attacking Moses' wife before they're even like owning up to their own insecurities. So second, we get to the actual root issue of what the problem is of their jealousy. It says, and they said, has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And what's happening here is that they're saying, we've been a part of this whole Israelite thing since for a long time. Like we've done stuff with them too. And in fact, if you look at the book of Numbers, about 12 times it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses, and the Lord spoke to Moses. And a couple of times it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. And so they're sitting there saying, like, God speaks to us just like he does to Moses, but yet somehow he's like the guy. Why aren't we the guy? And in fact, Moses or Aaron had been appointed high priest, which meant he was over, he was kind of the represent, representative to God. He was the one to go into the tabernacle on behalf of the people to represent them to God. And so he's sitting there thinking, well, I have like a position, but for some reason I feel like I lack power. Like Moses is able to lead the people and I can do some stuff, but I don't really get the respect I deserve. It kind of goes back to this idea that somehow God owes me more than what I'm getting. And for Miriam, it's the same way. She was called the prophetess. And so back to the story of the Israelites, they go through the Red Sea, um, the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Moses writes this worship song. And then it says, and Miriam the prophetess took her tambourine and all the people followed her and she sang this song and it's that song from like the 90s like I have fun unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and rider thrown into like that's the song and Miriam led it and everybody followed her and so she's sitting here thinking I'm like a worship leader and people will follow me like where I go and what I sing and so she's still having a problem and an issue too of like why aren't why don't I have more of a position so Aaron, Aaron and Miriam together get this sense of God's doing something more through our brother than he's doing through us. People respect him more than they respect us. 
God owes us something for the work we're doing. Why, why isn't this fair? Um, I thought of this just a little bit ago, on, actually on the way here, and I was like, thinking, isn't this kind of true for a lot of us? I'm sure nobody in this room has thought at their job, I don't know why they're the boss. They're not that smart. <laughs> they actually don't know how to manage people. Our team is a mess, and nobody knows what direction we're going. Like, I think that's kind of the modern-day equivalent of Aaron and Miriam saying, has he only, do, aren't they the only ones who know how to lead? Because I know how to lead. I've got experience. If you just asked me about my previous jobs, I'd tell you about how successful I was. Um, and so I think we're all in this sort of thing. So thirdly, the response. Uh, and don't miss it here, and the Lord heard it. Just a side note. So the response is Moses. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. So Moses had been, he had been leading kind of the Israelites for a long time, through the whole book of Exodus, through all the ten plagues, and now through the desert. And so this idea of meekness, I think, where do we get this story from? How do we know that Moses is meek? So you look around in the book of Numbers, kind of around this story, around chapter 12. Like a few chapters earlier, the Israelites were all in the desert. Now, if you know the story of the Israelites, like God provided for them by sending manna at nighttime. It's like bread that they could eat. But so a few chapters earlier, they just kind of get tired of the manna. And again, it's this compare and despair. And they say, well, back when we were in Egypt, when we were slaves, we actually had meat to eat. And so this kind of sucks, and we'd rather be there. And Moses, for one, um, that kind of happens with us, too. We, we miss what God is doing in our current life, and we compare it to what maybe he did previously or m what he's doing in somebody else's life. So we're so short-sighted. We don't see the active activity of God in our life and the grace that he's providing for us today. And again, come back to the idea of that God owes me. So the Israelites are complaining, and Moses is just overwhelmed. And this is where his meekness comes through. He's overwhelmed, so he prays to God. He says, I cannot provide meat for two million people. I don't know how this is going to happen. And actually, this whole thing of leading the Israelites is kind of a big burden. I feel really overwhelmed by it. And so God's response is, okay, no problem. Pick 70 people, 70 elders from the from the tribe of, or from the people of Israel, and they will shoulder the burden with you. And um, I think this verse, this is Numbers eleven seventeen. It says, "I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone." And isn't that kind of a barrier that we have when we're in this compare and despair cycle? That we're so concerned about ourselves, that we're not really seeking how other people can be involved in the journey with us. We're so concerned about what God owes me and how can I get this for myself that we start to push other people out in a way. Moses, on the other hand, asks God for help and God provides it. So while that happens, he appoints 70 elders. They're all outside of the camp and they prophesy. And as they do that, two people are in the camp and they also prophesy. So then come running out of the camp, somebody comes and says, Moses, they're prophesying in the camp. And then in this moment, we see another case of uh, jealousy come up from somebody. And this is Joshua. And if you know the story of the Bible, Joshua is the one who eventually will lead the Israelites to the promised land. He's the one that they go scope out the land. Um, ten guys say, it's, not, it's a no-go, we can't do it. Two guys say, we can do it. One of them is Joshua. But in this instant, somebody comes and tells Moses, hey, they're doing this in the camp, Joshua interjects and says, well, tell them to stop. Like, they're not supposed to do that. And I think that happens with us, too. We just want to shut down other people, again, so that we can uh, experience the things that God owes us. And this is where we see Moses' humility and his meekness. So Moses said to him, to Joshua, are you jealous for my sake? Like, 
do you think I'm worried that people are doing something that I haven't like given them permission to do? Um, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord was, has put his spirit on them all. And isn't that, so I see, I see Moses, and I see his like desire that everybody would experience the thing that he's experiencing. I think sometimes when we compare and despair and have jealousy kind of come up in our hearts, we are just hoping that other people don't get to experience what we do. We think God owes us something, but definitely not them. And then finally, some consequences of compare and despair and jealousy. I don't have all the parts of the story here, but what happens uh, between verse 3 and verse 15 is that the Lord heard Aaron and Miriam's complaining, and so he says, all right, come here, come to the tent. And so the three of them go, a cloud comes down, it leaves, Miriam has leprosy. And because of her leprosy, she's now like put outside of the camp for seven days. And the rest of the Israelites can't move camp until Miriam is uh, declared clean, which is uh, Old Testament stuff. But I can't relate to like getting leprosy. But I can relate to this consequence that Miriam experienced, which is you're now separated from people. Your jealousy has called, caused a kind of divide between you and everybody else. The thing that you wanted, the thing that you were hoping for, which was recognition and sort of some kind of power and leadership, is now just not an option. And secondly, so that was her own personal experience. But secondly, the rest of the Israelites suffered a consequence as well. The shrapnel, if you will, of Miriam's choice caused the rest of the Israelites now we're stuck here like we can't do anything we can't move for seven days until this is taken care of and I think that happens in our lives all the time my uh, jealousy will put separation between me and other people do you know how difficult it is if you're jealous of somebody to like have a normal conversation with them you're just thinking in your head like well you went to Purdue in you don't even have like legit job experience and your business is going to fail and you're supposed to like talk to them. Um, but then it also causes, impacts those people around us as well. Like when state, if I'm got this stuff going on in my heart and I'm sharing that with Sadie, suddenly now she has separation between herself and that person too. And it has nothing to do with Sadie's heart, Sadie's experience or this person Somehow, like, my choices, the shrapnel of that is causing separation. So, what do we do? Like, don't be jealous. Have a good week. Uh, or maybe, frankly, maybe you're sitting here thinking, like, I have zero idea what you're talking about. I love everybody, and I don't ever compare myself to anyone. Uh, and terrific if that's you. If that is you... Maybe consider the others of guilt, anger, and greed and how those could rile up in your heart. Um, but in his book, Andy Stanley offers a very simple solution to jealousy. And this, the solution is celebrate. To celebrate. It's so difficult to be critical of somebody. Even if your heart's not there quite yet, it's difficult to be critical of them as you're celebrating with them the things God is doing in their life. Um, I think of what are some very practical ways that this could look like. I mean, the idea is simple to celebrate, but it's not easy. Like, it's simple to click like on somebody's Facebook post and hope, like, that's enough. Like, yay, I liked it. <laughs> um, by the way, does anybody on Facebook check regularly all this stuff? Or am I the only? Yeah, no, okay. Uh, so I'm just like... <laughs> Like, maybe nobody can relate to Facebook and the problems it causes. Um, so it's simple to like it, but it's very difficult, I think, to, like, post a comment like, awesome vacation. Hope you really enjoy it. Uh, I don't know. Enjoy your next three vacations. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, um, 
or maybe another one is just to send, like physically send a text. Hey, heard about your new job, super excited for you, congratulations. Um, another one that I can see in myself at work, we have a lot of client meetings, a lot of meetings with my team of you know, six to 10 of us or, or a number of people and a number of other people. Sometimes you can feel like somebody stole your thunder but you came up with something, an idea outside of it, and then in this client meeting, they're the ones sharing it. Um, but you can celebrate that. I mean, like, super, like, we were really excited about the, uh, the stuff we came up with. Kate's done a really great job. Da -da 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 -da. Or I have another, there's a person who does the exact same job as I do. We get assigned to different projects. We never work on the same thing. And he's done some cool stuff. And it can be easy for me to think, like, oh, no, like, he's doing cooler things than I am. People are going to recognize that and think he's better at this than I am. So I can want to sabotage that somehow. But this idea of celebrate is to say, wow, great work on that. Like, I wouldn't have never come up with that solution. Like, super cool. Good job. And then even, like, not to the person, but maybe to somebody else, like maybe a boss. Hey, he did a really bang-up job on that. Like, I was really impressed with it. Um, or maybe another practical uh, way to celebrate somebody is to take them out for a celebration dinner. I don't know if you've ever like heard some great news for somebody else that really just felt like it separated you from your experience and theirs. It could be a huge step to say like, hey, let's go out to dinner. It's super cool that you got that new job. I want to hear all about it. And actually listen. Not just say, great job, but actually tell me about it. I want to hear how God, maybe you wouldn't use this word because maybe it doesn't fit with this, um, the relationship you have, but, but really you want to hear how is God doing stuff in your life that's super exciting. Just to clarify, I know that this, the idea of celebration, there might not be any like piece of you that feels like celebrating, but I think as we step out and take sort of a, a do something that it, even if we're, our heart's not there, that our heart will often follow. So even if you think of like uh, the idea of greed, I really want to keep things for myself. And then the anecdote to greed is to give generously. You might not want to give generously. You might just have to force yourself to write a big check to somebody. And that might not be a thing until check five, check six, check seven. And maybe commenting on somebody's thing might not like turn your heart away from jealousy the first time or the second time or the sixth time or the tenth time. But I think that God, um, God knows our heart and sees our heart and sees as we move uh, away from these uh, enemies, that, enemies of our heart that can sabotage our relationships that he sees us move towards people and that he honors that. We're going to move into time of communion today. Uh, and the thing I like about communion here at Exodus is that Matt always talks about how communion is really saying, I need more of Jesus in me and less of myself in me. We're kind of saying, I recognize this separation I recognize the pieces of my heart that I'm not really letting God into. And so communion is a way for us to say, God, I want more of you and less of this. And the way that I like Matt, how Matt describes communion is, he says, if you're not giving God this stiff arm, you're welcome here. And so you might not be able to identify the specific ways that you maybe experience compare and despair or jealousy, or criticism and blame. Maybe that's not like visible or on the tip of your mind right now, but the desire to experience more of God and less of yourself, I pray that that would be the first step, that we would experience that desire. And so the way that we do communion here, uh, heard this so many times, <laughs> the way that we do communion here is that uh, we don't dismiss by rows, we all come up whenever, Jeremy will lead a song. Um, somebody will offer you the bread and the cup. You'll just tear off a piece of the bread.
bread, just dip it in the cup. We don't try to drink from it. And um, you can take it here or take it back to your seat. And again, it's welcome to anybody who's not actively giving a stiff arm to God, who's saying, I want more of Jesus and less of myself. I want to experience more celebration of other people and less criticism. I want to experience more success in other people and less blame. And I don't want to camp out on this idea that God owes me somehow. He's an incredible, gracious provider in my life. And the things that he's provided in this moment are exactly what I need. So we do that. Do we have anybody to do the communion thing?
fixed upon it, mount of thy redeemer. Let me pray. God, I pray that you would <clears throat> show in us our wandering hearts that are prone to seek out things that aren't of you, our hearts that are prone to say that you owe us, our hearts that are so easily captured by uh, short-sighted things. I pray that you'd give us a, a bigger picture of who you are, the work you're doing, And even the things that we take so much for granted, living in this country, thinking of Maggie Kim Stancy and her experiences, I pray that we would have a bigger picture beyond ourselves, outside of ourselves. Thank you for a chance to just uh, to be together. I pray that you would uh, give us courage to see the ways that you're working in our lives root out the things that uh, can sabotage our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So thanks for coming today. If you could help out and pick up the chairs, stack them against that wall. Uh, if you're new, we'd love to get to say hi. Have a great week.